another edition of the Unicorns podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. It's Unicorns time again, and I'm really looking forward to interviewing my guest today, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy listening to him. We're featuring a company called Phrenesis Security. It's an Australian cybersecurity firm that is putting philanthropy at the heart of its business. In essence, it's giving back for the greater good. Phrenesis Security is Australia's first B Corp certified cyber security firm. It's trusted by government agencies and tech startups to provide pragmatic security solutions. The firm prides itself on its unique business model that dedicates a proportion of revenue to high impact charities that are helping solve the world's greatest challenges. The CEO and founder of Phrenesis Security is Elliot Delis. He describes himself as the chief optimist. What a great title. And he joins me now. Elliot, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Justin. Um, I, I, I hate to break the bubble, but I'm actually the chief realist. The chief optimist is my CTO. And, and the rationale behind this is uh, Dan comes up with these grand visions of the technology and, and the end state of how things want to be. And then I come and shatter those dreams with my uh, governance risk and compliance lens. So uh, that, that's how we ended up with those titles. <laughs> how, t- tell me, how, how on earth did you come up with those titles? Because normally you don't hear about them. It's CEO, founder, CFO, CTO. We've got chief realist and chief optimist. Yeah, so philosophy is embedded in everything that we do. And uh, realism and optimism, obviously, are sort of different branches of philosophy. But Dan and I have really interesting but very, very different backgrounds. You know, he, he comes from sort of the classic IT operations background. Uh, and I come from a national security background. And one of the things that I love about the way that we work is we tackle the same problems very differently. And, and we have really open discussions about what we think will and won't work. And, and we end up coming up with things that are far greater than uh, we'd be able to come up with individually. And, and the way that we came to realist and optimist was that I often think of security architecture as being an ideal state of the world. That is, you know, an organization comes to us and says, you know, we're, we're facing these security challenges, what can we do? And a security architecture is really about going, okay, this is what your tech state should look like. You know, these are the risks, these are the threats, this is the technology stack that will meet uh, what you need to do most effectively. Governance, uh-huh. risk and compliance, which is sort of the, the background that I have, is often about going, okay, that sounds wonderful, but this is our budget. These are our top three risks. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. What can we actually do? And, 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 and it's just a reflection of the sort of banter that Dan and I have, that when we're trying to come up with a solution, it's always a balance between going, here's the best of all possible world solution. Here's the budget the customer has. What is the best possible compromise between those two different worlds? Mm, I like it. Phrenesis. There's got to be a good explanation behind that name. It's a great name. Where did you get the name Phrenesis from? Oh, I just wanted to come up with something that was as difficult to pronounce as possible. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and spell and type into Google. Yeah, no, look, Phrenesis is a title that um, I, I really had my heart set on. So Phrenesis is a concept from ancient Greek philosophy that is roughly translated to practical wisdom. And, and what it really means is 
The ancient Greeks believed that having knowledge is one thing, but knowing how to apply that knowledge is what's really, really crucial. And that really resonated with me, both for our corporate philanthropy model, but also within cybersecurity. So I'll explain that a little bit. In cybersecurity, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the organizations that we see, you know, they've got the right technology, they've got the right people, but they're really struggling to be able to achieve their core security goals. And a lot of the time it's about going, you know, your technology is great, it's just not configured properly. Your people are driven, they just haven't got the skills and awareness they need to be able to support your overall mission. So being able to align the gap that currently exists between what we have and what we're good at and what we're being able to do. And a lot of this comes down to communication, coordination, talking to other parts of the business, understanding the bigger picture, making sure that you know your security strategy isn't conflicting with the broader strategy of the business and taking that big holistic view is how you turn knowledge, cybersecurity knowledge in, into phrenesis. On the corporate philanthropy side, it's it's the same principle. A lot of the biggest challenges facing the world at the moment, you know, we don't need to do more awareness raising. I mean, you know, if you take an issue like climate change, you, you, you know of it, you either agree with it, you disagree with it, whatever it might be, we have the knowledge, what we need is practical solutions to be able to combat those challenges. And for me, this is what phrenesis is about, is about going, the 21st century, I, I really believe, the ability for humanity to be able to pivot and tackle some of these challenges is going to rest in the corporate sector. And, and there's there's a lot of evidence, there's a lot of science that sits behind this. And for us, this is our, our small way of being able to demonstrate how we think corporations can lead the charge in fighting some of the world's biggest issues through highly targeted philanthropy. So let's go back to before Phrenesis began. What were you doing with yourself professionally and why was it that you decided to start Phrenesis? Yeah, for sure. So I have a bit of an unusual background in cybersecurity in that uh, I don't have a STEM background. I studied philosophy and communications at university, um, but it put me in good mm. stead for a cybersecurity career because one of the things it taught me was to challenge everything and think about things critically. You know, just don't take a premise and go to a conclusion without challenging its foundations. You can have an argument that's invalid even with correct premises and by vice versa, you know, you can have an argument that really looks like it makes a lot of sense, but if you haven't tested those premises, it doesn't work out. So not surprisingly, with a background in philosophy, um, getting a job was not the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> After yeah. I decided I, I didn't want to be an academic, I spent about 12 months looking at what my career options were. Um, and I came across an organization called what was then the Defense Signals Directorate at a careers fair. And it really blew my mind because it was something that I'd never considered, considered as a possible career path before. But mm. I also, you know, I started to have a look at the organization, thought, you know, these people are doing some really interesting things. So, so I moved over to Canberra to join the graduate program and worked for the Defence Signals Directorate, which is now the Australian Signals Directorate, for about six years. And the thing that really profoundly affected me there was the great sense of purpose and sense of mission that the entire organization had. You know, you had members of the military, you had people with arts backgrounds like myself, you had absolutely brilliant technical people. But the one thing that bound everyone together was a unified sense of purpose and mission. And I saw some incredible operational outcomes in my time at ASD. And one of the things that I was nervous about moving to the private sector was how am I going to still feel that sense of purpose and mission and drive? Uh -huh. You know, hey, look, making money is great, but you know, 
anyone that's come out of a, a government background will tell you it's it's the feeling that you're, you're doing something worthwhile and you're contributing to an important cause that helps you get through those difficult days. Um, I was really lucky to land in an incredible cybersecurity startup when I left government, uh, and that taught me a lot of really good principles about how a small, highly efficient business is run. But I always knew that I, I wanted to try and do my own thing. And, yeah. and I'd, I'd, I'd had a bit of a dream. I was like, I'd love to be able to start a business that captured that sense of mission and purpose that I felt at ASD, but I didn't quite know how it might happen. Um, my small cybersecurity, the security company that I was working for ended up getting acquired. And I moved yeah. to London to head up the strategic consulting division for a global managed services provider. But okay. it also gave me the opportunity to sort of reconnect with my philosophy roots. And I, I spent a bit of time with people who are heavily involved in the effective altruism community there. And effective altruism, you know, in a nutshell, is basically about going, if you want to maximize the positive impact that you can have in the world, if, if you're, you know, a member of a Western society with a high earning job, rather than going out and, and trying to sort of do charity work yourself directly, because chances are you'll generate more benefit from donating some of your wealth to organizations that specialize in this. And this this really resonated with me because I see the same thing in cybersecurity, right? I see organizations that are struggling to do things internally because they need specialists. Penetration testing is a great example, right? A penetration tester that lives and breathes it and does it all day, every day, is going to have a more targeted and impactful approach than someone who does it once a year as, you know, just one of 50 duties they have. Mm. So when I came back to Australia at the start of COVID and decided I wanted to start my business, I thought this is a fantastic opportunity to put the philosophy of effective altruism to the test and go, I'm going to try and find some charitable organisations that have the greatest bang for buck that you can possibly get and just see... Uh, our charitable donations as a cost of doing business. You know, you don't go and talk to business and they say, oh, I can't pay my legal fees this month because, you know, business hasn't been good. Or, you know, I'm not going to pay my tax or my insurance this month because, you know, we've, we've had a tough month. Why? Because it's a cost of doing business. It's above the line. And that's the same way that we view our charitable donations. It's, it's mm. baked into the DNA of our organization. The money that we have to play with is what we get after we process our donations. And, I'm, you know, it's it's just been overwhelmingly rewarding to see this actually come to life and not come at the expense of growth. What was it like trying to get a business off the ground, a, a startup, a new startup during COVID? That must have been tough for you. It, it was challenging. And I, I was actually planning on launching the business a little earlier than I did. Uh, but because, you know, we were going through lockdown after lockdown in Melbourne, I thought, look, I'm, I'm going to hold off. I want to be able to launch the business at a point where I can go out and meet some people and do the coffees and everything. Um, so I, I launched on uh, July 1st, 2021, and if, if memory serves me right, within the first couple of weeks, we got hit with another lockdown. So mm. it was really it was really challenging, but at the same time as well, it was a good opportunity to really spend some time doing internal development, thinking about, you know, what are the processes and the procedures and the structures that we're going to need for long-term growth? And also, you know, it was a fantastic opportunity to just get on the phone and get talking to people. You know, everyone was in the same boat. Everyone was feeling the same pain. Um, and I was also lucky to have worked remotely long enough in the past and to have spent enough time working from home that um, ultimately it didn't really impact our growth. Uh, but it certainly, you know, it made me think deeply about how is it that when we get out of this, we're going to want to work? Are we going to want to be in the office? Are we going to be wanting to work from home? Or are we going to want to blend? And ultimately what it came down to is, well, what do your people want? If your people want to be in the office one or two days a week, that's fantastic. What do your clients want? If they want them to be uh, on the client site, that's fine. 
ultimately, you know, I, I care about outcomes. If someone's sitting on the beach with a laptop and absolutely killing it, that's fine by me, you know, as, as long yeah. as yeah. as long as our clients are happy, I'm happy. <laughs> so when it comes to cybersecurity, I mean, most people don't really talk about it. It's a bit like Fight Club. The first rule <laughs> about cyber <laughs> yeah. is you, you don't talk about it. So um, w- without really revealing your clients, your customers, give us a sense of the, the size and the scale and who you're doing business with and where the opportunities are for Phrenesis. Yeah, for sure. Look, we we cover the gamut, really. You know, we we work with government, we work with critical infrastructure, we work with small businesses, we meet with large businesses. You know, one of the first things I always talk about is why are you thinking about cybersecurity now? And and there's usually one of a few answers. You know, we've had a breach, we've had a near miss, we've got a customer that's asking us to comply with some standard, uh, we've got a new member of management come in that's felt that this is an area we need to focus on. I, I think really. The, the exciting part of working in cyber at the moment is cyber has traditionally been relegated as an IT function, right? It's an IT issue, you know, make sure the systems yeah. are secure, lock it, lock it down. Yeah. It's, it's rapidly transforming into a business function. And part of that is the recognition that it is people ultimately that are an organization's greatest vulnerability or first line of defense. And empowering people and educating people and communicating effectively and this and this comes back to this idea of phrenesis that you know a lot of the time organizations go out looking for a product to solve a problem that could be solved by better communication internally educating your people and seeing cybersecurity as something that's baked into what you do on a day-to-day level rather than an IT function that those three people in the basement worry about mm. can you shine a light Elliot on the state of cyber in Australia at the moment? Yeah, I, I think it's going through a transformation and, and I think it's it's really good to see. You know, I don't think it's a coincidence that someone like me with an arts background 10 years ago would have found it really difficult to get into the industry. But now every second, second person I meet is from a non-STEM background. And, look, and that's not to belittle those people that have worked so hard to build up the technical skills that, you know, makes them elite. There are incredible technical specialists in Australia and, and we are so lucky to have that skill set. But there is definitely a shift occurring. There's there's more mm. diversity of thought. There's more diversity in background. There's more diversity in experience. Um, you know, I, I work as a as a mentor with some organisations that put a lot of hard work into making the the workforce of Australia more diverse. diverse workforce. We see more diversity in opinion, more diversity of thinking. You know, I increasingly see organisations going, how do we uplift our cybersecurity culture? You know, how do we introduce a change management program as opposed to I want to go out and buy this particular technology and, and viewing it more holistically and thinking about culture. I think that's one of the big shifts that I see at the moment is that, you know, it, it almost used to be sort of a bit of a, a cliche that you talk about having a cyber aware culture, but now, you know, no size worth their salt would talk about how you improve the security of the organization without focusing on how the cybersecurity department interfaces with the rest of the business and how are you going to communicate with those people that, you know, ultimately you want to be doing the right thing. How vulnerable are Australian organisations at large from the corporates, the ASX 200 to small businesses to a cyber incident? It's Look, it's a good question. I think Australia is a largely risk-averse country when it comes to our, our business culture. Having worked overseas, that's the biggest difference I felt coming back. And 
that can make you more or less vulnerable depending on <laughs> where where your reticence mm. lies. Yeah. If you're if you're nervous about splashing out on a cybersecurity program because you think it's going to be difficult to justify the budget in 12 months time. And one of the great challenges of cybersecurity is, you know, if you're doing your job well, no one really hears about it, right? Yeah, that, well, that's right. You know, the, that's, the, that's right. the hacker that comes up against your technology and decides it's more effort than it's worth, you're never going to find out about. You know, mm. the scammer on the other side of the world who's been scoping out your, CF, uh, your CFO for a business email compromise attack for the last couple of months, but then realize you've got a really switched on, um, you know, finance department, you're not going to find out that they decided not to attack you. So I, I think we're, we're often reactive. We, we often follow suit from the US a lot. We, we see that, for example, in the way that we've been tackling ransomware. It took an executive order from Biden for the Australian government to release its ransomware action report. That yes. being said, we're also often shielded by virtue of our time zone. You know, if you go back to 2017 and you look at WannaCry and this first major wave of ransomware, one of the things that protected Australian businesses was just not being in a time zone that was convenient for the attackers. So, you know, we, I don't think we're any more or less vulnerable than any other region in the world. If you look at things like the cost of a breach study and the Verizon breach reports, you know, these are really valuable sources of information to see where we stack up. It's probably more where we're vulnerable than the level of vulnerability. We're very, very reliant on web applications and uh, a lot of the attacks that occur in Australia are very, very web app focused. Uh, we have a lot of exposure to the cloud. You know, I, I talk about sort of the great cloud migration of the last five years. That has meant that, you know, we, we have less reliance on old legacy infrastructure, which is, I you know, having worked in an EMEA, it, it's a huge issue for a lot of old institutions there. But on the other hand, you know, jumping into the cloud without considering your regulatory implications, not thinking about the configuration of your repositories poses risks of its own. So I think it's where that risk exists more than the level that's unique in Australia. So the unique part of Phrenesis is cybersecurity for good. You've spoken about it briefly, but let's get into the detail there. So you are now a certified B Corp organization, which in and of itself is huge news. And I think it's something you guys need to um, sing from the rooftops because <laughs> I believe you're the second in the world, if I'm correct. So explain to our listeners, Elliot, cybersecurity for good, why it's important for you as a startup business to undertake this extraordinary business model. Yeah, absolutely. So B Corp was really useful for us because it was a good opportunity to think deeply about what impact means and how do we how do we create positive impact in the world and how do we generate value? And obviously, you know, our corporate philanthropy model was, was key to that because, you know, we have thought very deeply about how by virtue of the fact that we're a profitable business, we, we can create impact. But it also led us to think, well, how does our core business activities actually make the world a better place? And, and one of the mm. most rewarding things in my career was I, I was doing some work for a government agency that had um, an incredible operational outcome as a result of some of the work that I've been doing as a consultant. By the same token as well, you know, consultants can tell you all sorts of horror stories about working with organizations where um, there's been perverse incentives for doing cybersecurity. You know, it, it's not that we want to protect the data of, of vulnerable people or, you know, we want to make sure that we're meeting our regulatory obligations, but, you know, we just want to tick the boxes and do the bare minimum. So mm. one of the things that it also prompted us to think about was, well, how can we try to maximize the impact 
by virtue of the work that we're doing. And and for me, one of the things that is really, really rewarding is, is going, you know, we may have developed something like an incident response plan, which, you know, it, it's normally it's, it's just a document, it's a piece of paper, but that might be a piece of paper that results in a vulnerable person's personal information not ending up on the dark net. And that's one of the things that we, we talk about internally is, you know, what what is the the impact of the work that we're doing on a day-to-day basis. And this is something, you know, this isn't unique to Phrenesis by, by any stretch of the imagination. This is something that our entire industry is doing. And, and for us, it was also an opportunity to celebrate, hey, there's an incredible power to do good in our industry as a whole. And, and mm-hmm. it requires a bit of thinking about, you know, who are the end recipients of the services that you're providing? What sort of services you're offering? And, and what's the incentives to doing that? And really, in, you know, working with our clients to encourage, you know, think about the bigger picture. Think about the second and third order effects of doing the right thing here. And, and you know, we've also been very fortunate to attract clients, I think, that share our values and share our vision. And I think the B Corp journey has, has helped be part of that. But, you know, when, when you're values driven, you seem to attract clients and staff that are values driven as well. I was going to ask about the staff because obviously hiring tech staff, engineering staff, um, very hard, particularly Mm. in this market. Um, Have you found that your business philosophy is an incentive for staff to come on board with Phrenesis? You know, look, it's a good question because I never wanted our social and environmental commitment to be the reason that a client works with us or a staff member works with us. You know, if, if they agree with it, if they share our values, that's wonderful. But I, it was never supposed to be a filter to say, you know, look, you, you're, you're not a good fit for us because you, you don't believe in our mission. Yeah. I've been blown away to see how much it's resonated with with the, with the um, employment inquiries we've had. I've, I've had a, we've had more interest than we've had roles to fill, which is certainly, mm. you know, it, it's unusual in cyber. And the, you know, I like your mission, I like what you're doing, I like the ethos of what you guys are doing is a really common theme in that. And it's been super rewarding to see. And and I think it is, you know, and, and we report on it constantly. You know, one of our core metrics in, you know, every single, uh, you know, we have a fortnightly sort of, you know, business health check-in meeting. And every single time, you know, we, we talk about the core metrics of the business, but we also say, you know, these are the impacts that we've managed to achieve over the last month by virtue of, you know, the uh, charity partners that we work with. So. Let's give them a shout out. Who are, who are your charity partners? And give us some stats around what you've done there. Yeah, look, I, okay. So we number one is the Against Malaria Foundation. The reason that we chose the Against Malaria Foundation is time and time again, uh, they are rated as the number one charity in the world for if you want to be able to save a life through donations, in terms of numbers of life saved for numbers of dollars donated, the Against Malaria Foundation is just about one of the best organisations you could possibly donate to. Mm. One of the funny things about, about donating money is that, you know, there are orders of magnitude more impact that you can have per dollar when you're donating to areas like sub-Saharan Africa than Australia, just by virtue of the fact of, you know, what can be achieved with a single dollar. So that's why the Against Malaria Foundation was chosen, just because, you know, you can look at international rankings like GiveWell, they, they just top the charts year in, year out. Secondly, as an Australian business, it was really important to us that we were doing something to be able to close the gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. So we had a look at different charities that were, were helping to fight that mission. And the Australian Indigenous Education Foundation has an incredible story 
They have a scholarship program that's incredibly impactful. They're one of the most efficiently run charities in Australia as well. So we decided to be able to, to donate with, to them as well because of the incredible work they do and the tangible and transparent results that they have. Um, the third one that we picked was Carbon Positive Australia. Uh, Carbon Positive Australia do uh, reforestation of degraded land. They've also built a carbon footprint calculator, which is an incredible tool for us to go, okay, you know, we, we want to be able to offset our, our carbon emissions, but the first step is we need to understand what they are. And they have an incredible impact as well because they have these second and third order effects because, you know, they're not just sequestering carbon by planting uh, trees, but they're also restoring through native shrubs and, and native flora degraded lands that would otherwise be unusable and you know the animals return to inhabited and the water tables get corrected so there's all these flow and effects so they're the three charity partners that, that we donate to and, and that was the rationale behind them was because of the amount of value and the tangible impact that's produced for every dollar that we donate is the idea to bring on more uh, charity partners or to stick with the original three you've just identified there's no immediate plan to mix up the charity partners. Like okay. all three of these yep. organisations have missions that, are, um, you know, they're, they're long fights. They're not going to be disappearing at any time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but as well, you know, we, we've also thought about, well, you know, and, and going back to, you know, how can we create value? It's not just about donating money. And, you know, I, I've talked about the value of what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, but it's also how you spend your time. And, and so one of the other things that we've looked at is doing an annual charitable uh, consulting engagement where we go, you know, if, if we all decided, and I had this idea originally, I was like, you know what we could do is we could all go and pick up some plastic off the beach or we could go and help out at a soup kitchen for a night. And, and you know, don't get me wrong, there are fantastic things to do, but for us as cybersecurity professionals, is that the best possible use of our time or is there a way that we could create more value? So we just say, hey, let's do a pro bono engagement. Let's set aside some time where we go and do some charity work by donating our skills as cybersecurity consultants to an organisation that's fighting a good fight. And the funny thing is, if, if this was a paid engagement, you know, we have saved that organisation tens of thousands of dollars by donating mm. our time. Uh, and, and, and so that's a way that we've been able to augment our approach as well. And that's something I've certainly thought about sort of extending the reach of is, is doing more of that sort of pro bono work. Um, but in terms of our charity partners, it's, it's, it's those three for the foreseeable future. So Phronesis is 12 months old. Um, how how has the business changed over that time? I know it's it's a reasonably short space of time, but what are the lessons that you've learnt over those twelve months? Oh, look, there's many. I think one of one of the really interesting lessons to me over the last twelve months is don't second guess which service is going to be in demand. It's been really interesting to see that there's service lines that I thought would go gangbusters that um, just haven't had the pickup that I was expecting. And on the other mm. side, we've had services where we thought, oh, you know, everyone in, everyone in the market's doing this. Like, like, like penetration testing, for example. You know, penetration testing was always going to be one of our services, but I didn't realise just how much demand, especially for Australian tech startups, there were for really good, high-quality web app pen tests. Security architecture has been another one. Security architecture wasn't something that I was initially intending to lean into, but there's a massive skills gap for security architecture and being able to get that big-picture perspective of going, what's the key risks face to the organisation and giving it this really deeply technical overlay of going, here's our tech stack, how can we get the most possible value out of it? Um, seeing the way that's evolved over the last 12 months has been really, really interesting. Um, so I think, you know, that was the big lesson for me is, you know, you need to have a strategy, you need to have a plan, you need to know what the market wants, 
But if you start hearing that, you know, services are being consumed differently to what you anticipated, mm. you've got to be flexible. You've got to adapt your approach. Mm. Mm. And how have you, um, obviously, starting a business, no matter what it is, is a challenge. How have you funded this enterprise? How did you get it off the ground and how have you kept it going with your um, capital structure? Yep. It, the Phrenesis is entirely founder-funded. And that was a very, very conscious decision. Uh, you know, we, we did have fairly significant offers for capital, um, but it was mm -hmm. really, really important to me that we could stick to our mission of uh, social and environmental impact. And, and I didn't want to have to um, dilute that message and I didn't want to have to uh, have capital injection that compromised our ability to make decisions solely based on what we felt aligned to the principles and the values of the business um so that that's that's how we got it off the ground and and that's how i intend for it to stay and in terms of the future it's always hard to try to pinpoint a direction or even a roadmap of of where you're going but you must have a, a sense of um the potential success of phrenesis so if you do if you were to get at your cyber crystal ball <laughs> Um, what, what are the, and to mix my metaphors, what are, what are the tea leaves telling you about uh, the future of Phrenesis security? You know, the tea leaves tell me that the best way to sell is to deliver well. And, and that is, is what the future is going to look like for us. You know, I, I don't sell point solutions. I sell long-term partnerships and trusted advisors. And, and being a trusted advisor means, you know, sometimes you take a hit. Sometimes, you know, we say, look, there's probably people out there better suited to your requirement than us, but the next time that you need something that we can provide, we'll be here for you. And I think that's super, super important. One of the other things that makes us a little different, you know, we, we're not a technology reseller. We are technology agnostic. I, I sell solutions. I don't sell products. So that I think is something that is going to continue to be a real point of difference for us is that people can say, hey, you know, I'll, I'll go and talk to Phrenesis because I know I'm going to get clear, unbiased advice. And that's something mm. that I, I, I really make sure is embedded into our culture, that people understand, you know, that it's really meaningful when you go to your trusted advisor and you know that you're not getting um, guidance that's been coloured by commercial arrangements in the background. The other thing as well is, is that, you know, this is just the beginning of our social and environmental impact story as well. The, the thing that I, I really excites me about what the future holds is our impact scales with our growth. The, the two are directly proportional. So the bigger that we get, the more we grow, the more successful we are, the greater an impact we can have. And, and that's really, really important to me as well, because I think often when people think about philanthropy more broadly, they think, oh, well, you know, it's, it's sort of, you know, you're, you're giving away something that you don't need or it's a cost that you're passing on or something like that, you know. With us, you know, we're not sacrificing quality. We're not sacrificing growth. It's just something that's built into the, our model. And, uh, you know, I'd like to think the sky's the limit for what we can achieve um, if, if we have the growth that we're planning to achieve. Very well said. Elliot Dellies, the CEO and founder of Phrenesis Security. Many thanks for coming onto the show today and all the very best in the future. Thank you. Oh, it was wonderful talking to you, Justin. Thank you.